Good morning. I have a question for you this morning to consider. How would you react if you knew that you were going to receive an incredible life-changing gift in the near future? Really, it should have a very sobering effect on me. Certainly, I should be thankful. I shouldn't live my life in the same way. Now, Noah, had a couple weeks ago, he brought up um, in Hebrews how the Lord has been making a proposal to people to have a relationship with them. Now, if you have accepted God's proposal to have a relationship with them, well, praise the Lord, you're saved. And you're not only saved, but continually on Hebrews 12, we see that you'll be receiving a kingdom which can't be shaken. I'm just going to read a couple of verses first in the passage we'll cover today. This is uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28. We'll just finish a chapter of those two verses. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. As believers, the word says that we are receiving a kingdom. And not just any kingdom, we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, an eternal kingdom. What does that mean? Looking at things from an eternal perspective, all that we have on earth right now, all of our material possessions, they're really very temporary. There are the things that can be shaken that I referred to in this verse. Now think of the most valuable thing you have in your possession. Maybe it's a piece of jewelry, maybe it's a computer, maybe it's your car. Now as many of you know, Christine and I, we've been blessed with a home recently. We got a new house last month. And we like it, we enjoy it. But the fact is, it's just a temporary home. And it's something that can go away very quickly. If there's a massive earthquake, that house could be gone. And look at everything else I have. You know, perhaps I have you know, money saved up in my banking account or my 401k. But the fact is, that could be gone very quickly too. A hacker might break into my bank account and it could all be gone. Really, all the possessions we have on earth, nothing is really absolutely secure. Everything we look at on earth that has value, it really, at best, has temporary value. But in the future, it says you as a believer are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. And as a believer, it says one day you'll be in a position where you will reign with the Lord. And already, as believers here, we're, we're receiving some of the benefits of the kingdom. And we have the Holy Spirit in us. We have many spiritual blessings already. So what should my attitude be in receiving an eternal kingdom? Now, I have to say, I looked for an illustration, but it's really hard to find one, because the fact is, um, I don't really know what 
I haven't really experienced receiving a kingdom. That sounds like a huge thing. I've experienced receiving many different gifts in my life. I've experienced receiving a car as a gift from my parents, and that was huge. But receiving a kingdom, that's something, that's on a whole different scale. So I looked back on, there, there is actually is a, some, um, one man's um, response to receiving a kingdom we can look at in Scripture. Well, this is King Solomon. This is back in 1 Kings chapter 3. King Solomon had received the kingdom of Israel from his father David. And we look at his response. He was, once he uh, realized he was king, it had a very sobering effect on his life. So I'll just read uh, Solomon's prayer when he realized that God had given him the kingdom. This is chapter 3, verse 6 of 1 Kings. And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because you walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made yourself your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Now, unfortunately, Solomon later turned from the Lord later in his life, but at least at this early time when we see him here, when he first received the kingdom, you could see, we could see he had an attitude of godly fear and reverence. When praying to the Lord, he had a heart of gratitude. He acknowledged the Lord's mercy and grace towards him. And he put himself in the servant's position. He realized, I need to serve the Lord. And three times in his prayer, he refers to himself, even though he's king, he calls himself servant. And that's the attitude I should have knowing that I'm receiving an eternal kingdom, I should, be, of course, be grateful, but I should desire to serve the Lord with reverence and godly fear. And chapter 13 really goes right into a lot of practical application about how can I serve the Lord. Well, now we'll go into chapter 13. We'll just read the first uh, six verses. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by, doing, by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness, be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now, as we've mentioned before in the past few months, looking at the context of the book of Hebrews, these Hebrew believers, they were going through some rough times. There was some persecution. And sometimes, going through hard times, 
it might be easy to forget brotherly love. When we're tired and weary and under stress, maybe the instinct might be to look out for yourself, not look out for others. So the writer of Hebrews, he urges the reader to continue in brotherly love. And the thing is, if these people really are believers, brotherly love should be a defining characteristic of their lives. And that's what the Lord Jesus said. The Lord Jesus said in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 35, By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Really, as a believer, love for others should be characteristic of my life. So what does brotherly love look like? It means I love fellow believers. I love people in the body of Christ. I love them like I love my own family. Now, I was just thinking, but um, you know, in a worldly physical sense, I really have no connection with all of you here. I'm not related to anyone here by blood. And the fact is, um, if I just went about my life as a physical therapist, just working the world, and about my own um, personal life, I would probably have no connection with anyone here at all. You know, I, have, I have very different hobbies, very different personal interests, and there's really no overlap. I may have not have met anyone here. I don't really have anything in common with you in that way. But there is one thing I do have in common, and that is the Lord Jesus. The fact is, as a believer, we're all part of the same body. We're part of the body of Christ, and everyone here is a brother or sister to me. Now, and, and, and as a part of uh, the same body, you know, as fellow believers, it's not just like Sunday we come together and socialize and that's it. There's a closeness um, that really defies the world's perception. Now, I can remember when I first came to Calvary and I was just starting to get to know people. It was actually very confusing to me, this thing about brotherly love when I saw it. The thing was, um, I saw people who were very close, very tight here, and um, so I would ask occasionally, um, are, you re- are you related to this person? And um, when I learned they were not, I said, oh, oh, that's quite something, okay. In fact, I still remember when um, coming to the Rodriguez household for the first time, I thought there were four daughters. Not, th- uh, not the three they have. And brotherly love is very obvious during hard times. Now, I work in healthcare, and so I see a lot of sick people. And in the hospital or in people's homes, when people are ill and not, not doing well, a lot of times the family is there all the time. And I could say that at Calvary, I've seen when people are going through tough times or are afflicted, I see the saints coming to support those who are in need. It's a beautiful thing to see. When a fellow believer is hurting, I, sh- I should feel that pain too, and I should want to help them and come alongside them and bear that burden. 
Now, very closely linked with brotherly love is hospitality. The writer of Hebrews says, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Do not forget to entertain strangers. So who are these strangers? Now, this is not just me um, looking for some random person off the street and taking them into my house. This is me looking out for a fellow believer and inviting them in. Now, I'll confess, you know, my natural disposition is not towards hospitality. You know, I'm naturally an uh, introvert, and towards the end of the week when I'm tired after a long work week, I feel like being left alone. And I, think to my, I might think to myself, you know, having people is hard work. You have to make a big feast for people. You have to clean the house. A lot of trouble. But it doesn't have to be that way. You know, I learned um, from a lot of the saints, hospitality doesn't have to be a fancy occasion where you bring up the fine china and cook filet mignon for people. This verse in Proverbs, it says in Proverbs 15, verse 17, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. You can have some fine fellowship over a dinner of herbs. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. And it's really the fellowship, not the food that counts. And the Lord gives a very good reason for showing hospitality. You know, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Now, I don't know if anyone among us here has had an angel over at their place. But the fact is, from hospitality, you can enjoy a huge blessing. That's true, hospitality is work, but you have a real chance to encourage other believers through hospitality. You have a real chance to tighten the bonds of fellowship here in the local body. Because the fact is, a lot of times, you know, Sunday can be a very rushed occasion. I might get to talk to someone here for a few minutes, but I, don't, I may not really get to know how they're doing or really get to know them. But if I have someone over and exercise hospitality, I can really get to know someone quite a bit better. The church can be really strengthened through exercise of hospitality. And the fact is I've found a lot of times when I've had someone over, I end up being encouraged myself perhaps by hearing someone's testimony or hearing how the Lord is working in their lives, I get a blessing too. Verse 3, the writer tells us to remember the prisoners and those who are mistreated. So who are these prisoners? Who are these people who are being mistreated? These prisoners, they're not just people who have just been wrongly imprisoned for any reason, and these people who are being mistreated, they're not just being mistreated for any reason. These are fellow believers who are being imprisoned and abused because of their testimony for the Lord. Now, 
we're told to remember them. Now, the fact is, it can be easy to forget about these brothers and sisters. You know, there's a certain phrase that has some truth to it, out of sight, out of mind. You know, if I don't see a person, if I don't talk to them very often, I don't think about them very often, perhaps, or I may pray for them a lot less. So the Lord asks us to remember these people. And for the reason that you are in the body also. In fact, as these imprisoned believers, they may be separated from me by prison walls, but they're still a part of the body of Christ. I need to remember them. You know, if I forget about them, I might as well be forgetting about my hand and my foot. My body parts is missing. So how do we apply this verse in our lives today? Now you might think, well, I don't know any prisoners right now, or I don't know anyone who's being persecuted or mistreated. But we can remember these people. Now occasionally in the news, you might hear about a believer being imprisoned in a country like North Korea or Iran. And occasionally in the news, we hear about Christians being persecuted. Just last month in Egypt, there were some bombings of a couple churches. But the fact is, these stories, they very only occasionally make the headlines here. If you really want to remember the prisoners and those who are mistreated, you may have to do a little more digging. Now, when you leave here today, I would encourage you to look up some of your some of our persecuted brethren. And there's a couple of good sites for this. You can look up on persecution.com. That's a website for um, Voice of the Martyrs. It's a good resource for seeing you know, what are our brethren in the world out there going through. Now, I, can, I don't know about the rest of you, but I can say for myself, I have not really been through a whole lot of persecution as a believer. In fact, when I see what believers in really restricted countries go through, I can say, no, I really have not been through persecution at all. You know, occasionally, I've been given the cold shoulder for being a believer. Maybe people have teased me or made fun of me. I think I, I can only remember one time where I've been cursed out from being a Christian. But some of our brothers and sisters out there in the world, they're going through some terrible things. You know, there are believers out there who might easily lose their job for professing the name of Christ. They could be imprisoned. They could lose their life. I just want to give you a few stories of people I looked up this, this week on, uh, after reading a recent issue of Voice of the Martyrs. There's a man named Mahad living in the, the Muslim country of Somalia. Somalia is a very hard country to be a believer in. There's estimated perhaps only 200 believers in the whole country. This man, Mahad, after he became a Christian, his parents kicked him out of the, kicked him out of the house and sent him to a school in Saudi Arabia. And they told him, if you ever come back and you're still a Christian, we'll kill you. 
Every time this man was found sharing the gospel with people, he was imprisoned in an underground cell. There are countries out there where just owning a Bible or owning a piece of Christian literature, it's a crime. There's a country called Uzbekistan, it's a former Soviet Socialist Republic. A couple believers, um, Dmitry and Shokir, they were in prison for five days just for having Christian literature in their house. Now, in the country of North Korea. Now, North Korea is, it's been ranked for a number of years. It's the hardest place in the world to be a Christian. If you're a believer, you may be forced to hide your faith from your own family, from your wife, from your kids. And believers, believers who are found out, they can be taken along with their whole family into a forced labor camp. And it's not known how many people die in those camps. And you just look at um, what we have right now. You know, we're in a church meeting right now. We're free to study the word of God and to talk about the Lord. This is something that would be unthinkable in a place like North Korea or Somalia. This would be an impossibility. Now, let's remember our brethren out there who are mistreated and imprisoned. The near prayers. And I have to say, in, in remembering our persecuted brethren, we can learn a lot. We can learn what real boldness for the Lord is. Now, I have to say, when I was reading some of the stories on the website, I, was, I felt a little ashamed because I realized, you know, sometimes I'm afraid to share the word with someone, to share the gospel. But, you know, when I look at um, what some of the persecuted believers go through in sharing the gospel, and they're so bold, and they... Um, it would seem like they would have a lot to fear in sharing the gospel. And me, I have nothing to fear compared to them. Verse 4. The writer of Hebrews switches to marriage. He says, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Now, some translations actually make this more of an exhortation rather than just stating a simple fact. It's more of a command. Let marriage be honorable, honorable among all. Let the bed undefiled be held honorable. So what does it mean when I hold something honorable? When I hold something in honor, I show that it's very precious to me. It's very dear to me. It's very important to me. Now, in regards to material things, I think we can all relate. We know when someone holds an item in honor or holds something very precious to them. Now, um, one thing I've come by in visiting people's homes as a home health care worker I've come by a few people who hold their cars in very high honor. They actually have show cars, the kind of car that you would display at a car show. And it's, it really amazes me. These people pour a lot of their lives into their car. They pour hours and hours into waxing their car, into polishing it. And if there was a bird dropping on their car, they would be appalled. And, you know, a lot of times you see people... Um, 
Some people have pictures of their family all over their house. These people have pictures of their car all, all over the house. I said, wow, you really like your car. Or to give uh, the sisters an example too, um, my aunt in Los Angeles, she has a very fine collection of china. And every time she, it, she takes out only for very special occasions and every piece has to be hand dried and hand washed. And you can bet when I'm taking a sip of tea from one of those cups, I am very careful with it. Because if one dropped and got chipped or broke, it would be a horror. <laughs> well, you could tell she honors, uh, she holds her china in high regard. So, and looking at marriage then, how, I should be holding marriage in honor. I should be holding marriage as something very precious to me. And not just marriage, but the Lord says to hold the bed undefiled as, as in honor. Now, the bed undefiled, it's a marriage that has not been spoiled or contaminated by any sexual immorality or any sin. Now, don't just let marriage be precious to you. Let marriage in its pure, unadulterated form be precious to you. Now, I used to be a comic book collector. I could tell you what I know of something being in a pure, unblemished form. It's very hard to find. Now, comic books, they come in various gradations. I mean, there's certain categories. We might say a book is in good condition, fine, very fine, near mint, or mint. Mint condition is the rarest and hardest to find. Because you have to look at the cover of that comic book. You look at the cover of the book. If there is any crease in the spine, just a little crease, it's not mint condition. If there's any discoloration, no. And you have to even look at the staples of the comic book, saying, is there a hint of rust? No, we can't have that. And it's not just the outside of the book, if look in the inside. Is there any discoloration of the pages? Is there a little cut in the page? Is the ink faded at all? Basically, a, a book in mint condition has to look like it's just been hot off the press. Now, for those of you who are married, what does your marriage look like if it was a material object? Does it look pure and clean, both inside and outside. So what does it look like if I hold marriage as honorable? Well, I should, I should show that I value it, that it's precious to me. Now, I talked about those people who put a lot of time into their cars. Well, do I put a lot of time into my marriage? Do I make time for my spouse? Now, yeah, there are, uh, there's a lot of things that can demand my time. You may be busy with work. You may be busy with the children. You may be involved in ministry. And it can be a tough balance. But do I make time for my spouse? Do I take time to pray with them, to really spend time with them, to really have a conversation? Because it's something. You can have two people living under the same roof but they can be so busy, they're like ships passing in the night.
Oh, let your marriage be so precious to you that you don't want anything that could possibly mess with it to come near. If I hold marriage in honor, then I'm going to be loyal to my spouse, not just exterior, not just outwardly, but also in my inward thought life too. Now, for those of us who are unmarried, there's still ways you can show you hold marriage as honorable. The fact is, uh, married couples, they do need prayer, that their marriages would remain strong and centered on the Lord. There's a lot of things that can cause divisions in marriage, because the fact is, marriage is a lot of hard work. And the fact is, you have two sinners living together in close proximity. Now, I have to say, before I got married, I never thought I would have the kind of arguments I have had with my wife at times, just over issues that I would never have thought would come up. And any time outside events intervene, there's there's a number of events in life that can cause a strain in marriage. If a a wife or husband is sick, that causes strain in the marriage relationship. If there's any trials going on outside the home, that can also cause a strain. If you really hold a brother or sister's marriage in honor, pray for them. And there are some practical ways, too, they can show, show that you hold someone's marriage in high regard. I have to say, um, me and Christina, we, um, I don't think I ever realized how much time Gabriel would take, my son, but he does take a lot of time. And um, sometimes there's a lot less time to spend with the wife. But um, we were, me and Christine, we were very, we were very grateful when um, uh, another couple um, offered one time just to babysit Gabriel so we could spend some time together. And we should pray for those here who are not married that they would find a good, godly, loving spouse. Because the fact is, if I really hold marriage, if I really think of marriage as something good, if marriage is that precious and dear to me, you know, I should pray that my fellow believers who are single may be blessed in that same precious way. The rest of the verse in Hebrews, it's a warning really here. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. So if we spend a lot of time talking about the right way to view marriage, to view marriage as something honorable. Here's a warning against people who have the opposite view about marriage. Fornicators and adulterers. Now, these are are people who really have a wrong view of marriage, who hold marriage in dishonor as something that there's no need to be careful about. Now, like I said, we can all tell when someone holds something as being precious and dear to them. But we can also tell when someone holds an object as not precious, as not dear, as not important. You know, we see people who hold their, their cars in high regard. Well, we can see when someone doesn't care about their car, when the car might be a little beaten up, have some chip paint, may have a bunch of dents in it, maybe filthy and dirty. The second part of this verse is really a, a warning. If you have a wrong view of marriage, the Lord says he will judge you. 
verse 5, the writer of Hebrews says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. When we were going through the trials, as these Hebrew believers were, it can be, it can be easy to become discontent with what you have. And when you're going through rough times, questions might arise in your mind, like, why is God putting me through this? And these Hebrew believers, they were having some pressure also from false teachers who are basically telling them, telling them that, you know, as you, us Jews, we have such things as the tabernacle and the sacrifices. You Christians, you have nothing. During hard times, we might look at what other people have and begin to covet what other people have. We might covet other people's circumstances. You might think, why is the Lord allowing this happen to me and not my fellow brethren have had to go through what I'm going through? And the Lord just the Lord says, be content. Now, something contentment can be a real great shield against spiritual attack. You know, if you are really satisfied with what you have, if you're happy with what the Lord's given you, then it really doesn't matter what someone else has. If you are content with what the Lord's given you, you'll never be jealous or envious of your neighbor. Now, 1 Timothy, in chapter 6, verse 8, Paul wrote, having food and clothing, with these things we shall be content. But not just that. If we look at all the Lord has given us and done for us and how he's blessed us, we really have many reasons to be content. And there's a reason here that the writer of Hebrews gives for being content. Big reason. He says, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, like I said, during a trial, we might be tempted to question God. We might be thinking when events are spiraling out of control, you know, where is the Lord in this? But the Lord says very emphatically here, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, I don't know what everyone here is going through in their lives. I know the Costanza family, they're going through a real hard time right now. Many some of you are going through tough times at school or at work or in relationships or enduring some form of persecution. But the Lord says very emphatically here, you know, I am with you. You are not alone in this, and you will never be alone in this. We look at the Lord and you know, he's blessed us, blessed us in so many ways. You know, based on the, on the word, there's really no reason for me to ever worry about my bodily needs or material needs. Lord is the one who says, the world is mine in all its fullness. And the Lord is the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Really, I have no shortage of spiritual blessings. It says in Ephesians, chapter 1, that he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. 
It's really not just what the Lord's done or what he's given. It's really the Lord himself that I should be content with. Because when I look at the Lord, he's the best friend I have and ever will have. You know, loved me and gave himself for me. And we see um, in the word a lot of people have found their full contentment in him. David in the Psalms writes that in your presence is fullness of joy. The writer of Lamentations writes, The Lord is my portion, therefore I hope in him. Now, if I really realize that the Lord is with me and I'm content in him, then in the face of a trial or persecution, then I can easily say that last verse in Hebrews. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So let's actually go ahead and answer that question at the end of Hebrews. What can man do to me? And actually, we talked about this morning already, the breaking of bread. You know, the worst thing that could happen to me is someone kills me. I'm dead. But, you know, if I'm dead, then I'm with the Lord. Like Paul said, for me to die is gain. The fact is, regardless of what I'm going through, the Lord, who's all-knowing, who's all-powerful, who's holding the universe together by his very will, who loves me and gave himself for me, really, if the Lord's with me, you know, who can be against me? Paul says in Romans, if God's for us, who can be against us? If the Lord is my helper, I really have nothing to worry about. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are and your word. And Lord, we just want to find our joy and contentment in you, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for how you love us. And thank you for you being our helper. Lord, we pray that we realize more and more who you are and appreciate you more and more. In your name we pray.